This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Achten Millwall. Listening to Echter Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Echter Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Huge welcome, dear listeners. Welcome back to another edition, another quality edition, if may I say so. We're bringing you top quality content in these, these dark, challenging times. And in that theme, I want to welcome to the show, show regular now, Ryan Loftus. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Good afternoon, Nick. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, how, how about yourself? How are you doing through these uh, these, these strange times? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm keeping well. I'm uh, mainly in my room in my parents' house, uh, keeping yeah. myself to myself. I understand that uh, you're busier than you've ever been. I've you been know, these, these, these uh, <laughs> lockdown days are the, the re- renaissance of Nick. <laughs> Uh, listeners need to know I retired last year from uh, from uh, my housing job, and I, I actually had ideas that this was going to be like an idyllic English summertime with, a, with a, probably a moderate season for Millwall, where we we kind of finish with mid-table respectability, and then I was expecting to get a lot of um, watching of cricket on the iPad in the back garden, and maybe a few journeys down to the Chelmsford County Ground to watch some live stuff. And the best laid plans of mice and men, Ryan Loftus, go out the window, don't they, with the the arrival of COVID-19, um, the current lockdown. Um, talk of, of reinstating the season at some point soon from the EFL yesterday. Um, I mean, we did a show the other day with with James Hill, our sports lawyer. Um, casually call him our sports lawyer. He's actually, he's actually, he's a, he's a contact. He's not, he's not my sports lawyer. <laughs> uh, I don't mean I've got to fool James. Um, of the of the many, the myriad ins and outs of um, doing nothing, which is not a possibility, abandonment, which is complex, or continuing behind closed doors, which seems to be the EFL's favoured route out. I mean, there are no simple solutions, Ryan, are there? I mean, whatever you choose to do is fraught. Yeah, it's um, unbelievably complicated. I think. Every avenue, as uh, kind of James was explaining the other day, I think every avenue you go down has a massive big red flag in it saying, well, what about this? And, you know, like you said, p- some people are going to come out of this very unhappy. But, I mean, for me, it's, it's maybe a, a, a best situation just to sit and wait. I know a lot of people have a lot of money in it, and that's why the leagues, especially, and the clubs are scrambling to yeah. kind of come up with a resolution. But maybe it is best to sit and wait. But, I mean, as fans, all that's all we can do, really wait and, and do what we're told until we can go back to the den or whatever ground it is that you like to go to and, and watch some men running around kicking a football. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the wind seems to be blowing in the direction of a behind-closed-doors conclusion. Um, the, the clock is ticking down to June the 30th, which James covered quite nicely in, in the show. So do listen to that one. It's... Uh, it's more on the legal kind of um, hurdles and, and barriers to any kind of conclusion of a season. Literally, any 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 form of conclusion has has its problems. Um, the the simplest, if that's the right term, it seems to be a June the thirtieth finish with the remaining fixtures being played behind closed doors. Which I'm a, you know when it first broke yesterday, Ryan, I thought to myself that doesn't sound like 
what I would have wanted. But of course, I don't I don't have and no one else has any kind of better solution that's that's going to keep everybody happy. That's the problem. There is no easy answers to any of this. No, exactly. I think I think initially on when uh, behind closed doors was kind of being suggested, I think a lot of people were unhappy about it. And it is still, there's a lot of problems that come with it. It's quite unworkable. I mean, we saw just before lockdown the, in Paris where PSG played their Champions League game behind closed yeah. doors and thousands yeah. of fans gathered outside there. So, you know, it's, it's hard to police and there's a lot of problems with testing and, and getting the, the, the people, the number of people in putting on games behind closed doors. And yeah. it, it, it is unpopular, but, you know, it's kind of one of those, if it, if it needs to be done, it might need to be done. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I watched one Bundesliga game just before football ended. I um, can't remember who it was now. It, was, it might have been... Um... Dortmund against Mönchengladbach, that was it, and that was in an empty stadium behind closed doors event. Very different, very different. Um, I suppose better than a mathematical conclusion to the season in some ways, at least you played to a finish. I get the arguments on, on that front, but there is no there is no framework, there are no precedents, and whatever football decides to do, it's, it's in an invidious position because whatever it decides to do, um, someone somewhere is going to say you should have done something else. So I don't envy them these choices. But our reason for speaking today, Ryan Loftus, is football. Um, we wanted to kind of consider the season so far, the the um, the strange, possibly one of the strangest seasons ever, I think, in football history, and certainly locally in Millwall history, really, given the story of the season being the kind of initial. Rather, rather sad end of Neil Harris's um, Millwall management career, followed by the arrival of Gary Rowett as a kind of a new messiah, and then this rather odd now period of um, postponed games that um, we, we await to see how it will finish. It's it's one of the odder storylines ever, but it's going to be a very interesting history um, to write one day. Yeah, I think there will be a lot of people looking back at this and. Uh... You know, it'll be the whole generation of people talking about the the, the COVID days, you yeah. know, and uh, yeah, football terms, history terms, there'll be a lot will be looked at during this period. I'm just looking at the 2018-19 season, which was the um, the kind of the final hurrah of of, um, of Neil Harris, really, as a manager. I think in, a lot, there were a lot of endings that season. I think probably one of the endings included Neil as a, as, as, as a kind of... Um, as Mills manager and being taken seriously as Mills manager, I think that the wheels came off over the course of the season for many reasons. Um, and you touch on this, you've done a really good um, article on your blog, which is ryanreviews.home.blog listeners. Do check it out. I, I, I just read prior to talking to you today, your article for it about how Rowett fixed Mills away from it. It's quite an interesting read. Some superb analysis. I'm going to. I'm, I, I come to praise you, Ryan. Loftus. <laughs> I mean, it really is well worth a read, listeners. Um, a a full-scale analysis of, of um, the failings of Neil Harris and his and his um, tactics at the start of the season, and then the change to Rowett's more. Would you call it more sophisticated style? Um, potentially. I, I'm not even sure it's more sophisticated. I think he. You have to give credit to Rowett. Um, in a sense that he's he's been a manager a lot longer than Harris. I think it's it's weird one with Harris. I think it's he he isn't as like he's not a great manager. He's a very good manager for Millwall. I think he's um obviously mm. we know he's quite tactically rigid. It's four four two pretty much all the way, and we know the sort of football you get. Um, it's like direct counter attacking football. But Rowett's come in and he just has more kind of options in his bag of tricks. He has a seems to galvanise the squad. I know he praised like the squad that he came into. I think Harris has a lot of credit for like assembling that and yeah. kind of tackling problems. But I think by the start of this season, um Harris had kind of just lost it. I think he'd he'd I think he'd kind of had too much bad luck and a bit too um made too many mistakes and had just kind of lost his his je ne sais quoi that had taken us to eighth the, the season a couple of seasons ago. And uh, I think, yeah, when he went, he knew it was time to go. And I think he was right. It's interesting how these things play out, really, because you're, you're right. I mean, I, I think the I think Neil Harris in his in his heyday, which was the League One promotion season, then that incredible unbeaten run that took us so close to the playoff zone was kind of like cup tie football. And, and I mean, the, the big moments really with Neil 
even the you know the playoff win, which is a which is a cup tie effectively. There's there's you know it's it's um it, it, there were patchy seasons interspersed with moments of high adrenaline, and I, I think Neil Harris as a manager existed for, in a very Millwall way. We exist for these adrenaline runs, don't we? We Rowett seems to have brought in a, a kind of a willingness to adapt and to and to think about the game in a way that's quite alien to our, our, our culture. I can't think of any other manager since maybe maybe the days of Mick McCarthy, Bruce Riott, going back to the early nineties, where someone's been so willing to to, to play with our strategy and our, and our tactics in in interesting ways. Yeah, I think it's it is interesting. Like you say with the Harris, it is like that adrenaline football. It's almost like Mill operate in two realms where it's going really badly or really well and then you kind of I think in my lifetime especially you get the maybe the season or two where it kind of stagnates so you had under Kenny Jacket obviously towards his end it was a bit longer maybe a couple seasons where it started to go not badly but it started to just stagnate and he moved on then Harris comes in um, obviously a little while later but he comes in at a low ebb for the club and completely Mm. turns it around immediately rises us back up and then it just stopped like it's very all one pace, you know, it's all going really fast or really slowly. So with, with Rowett, it seems to be kind of going along a bit steadier, you know, developing the squad, changing things subtly, trying to work out a plan. And it seems, it, it seems different for me. It seems a bit too carefully considered for my liking, you know, I don't mind that. Just to, without wishing to damn Neil Harris, in any, any way he's a club legend and uh, you know we we um it, it was it was a, an unfortunate finish but you know he, his position for me in the club remains eternal as a player and as a manager mm-hmm. i'm just looking at the summertime signings there's some decent players he signed there um some more effective than others but when you look at the best of the of the signings the bielkowski and uh alone signing but malumbi um you know, uh, Connor Mahoney, really. I mean, these, these are decent, decent players. Um, Mahoney, maybe the jury remains out, but still these are decent signings. And he's, he's got rid of, what should we call, some deadwood, you know, um, players that it let us down last season. I'm thinking of the Archers and the Merediths and, 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 and some others. Um, and brought in the strengthening of the squad. I mean, to start the season off this year, I thought we were actually... A, a stronger looking unit than we than we finished last the eighteen nineteen season. Yeah, well, to to kind of go along that vein of uh, the, the signings he made. I mean, if you look at the eighteen nineteen season, thinking back, what for you, Nick? What do you think kind of went wrong? What do you think? What do you think had changed maybe from the season we just finished eight, and then the next season? What do you think was Mill's problems? You know, what what did it for us to plunge us into a relegation battle? Uh, I. I these are only opinions. I, I sit yeah, up on my, my my seat up in high in the in in the um you know in the West End. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Um, there were some players who would appear to be proverbial bad eggs. Now you know these these are young men, and young men are prone to make um, some make great choices, some make some unwise choices. Um, and I wonder what went on behind closed doors. What unwise choices were made because. You know, good players seem to go bad on us. You know, the the classic example, the lone example was Ben Marshall, clearly a player of talent, um, clearly a a boy that has all of the ingredients. And yet, for some reason, is choosing to play that talent for for pub sides, you know. Um, And then you've got others like James Meredith, I thought was a decent fullback, Um, should have been should have been better than he allowed himself to 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 actually turn out on the pitch you've got players like Jordan Archer um who you know we, we live in the era now of, of um of a much greater awareness rightly of, of mental health and, and the pressures that are on young players um or players in their mid-20s um these these the these who knows what went wrong in Jordan Archer's world to produce that catastrophic loss of confidence mm. um so much of it don't, we don't know. We can only speculate. And I think that fans especially turn players into cartoon figures um, that you kind of come to watch weekly or fortnightly, as the case may be. And you don't how really about, know what goes on the, the pitch. On the pitch, in, it, it was a very limited approach, wasn't it? I mean, I, I think we dwelled too long in the court of, of King 442. Um, the rest of the world was 
had worked out how to play Millwall. Um, adrenaline football is great for cup runs and great for for surges, but it doesn't lend itself well to the harsh realities of, of a 46-game championship programme. And I think that we got rather found out. And as you've touched on in your piece and in this conversation, um, Neil didn't really have a plan B. He had no other way to approach the game other than highly predictable ways. That was yeah. our problem, I felt. Yeah, I think... Um... Millwall kind of so last season from what I've been looking into kind of in my piece last season like you said it, it was the same approach as the season before and I think it, you do have a bit of that newcomers you get that bit of obviously it's data analytics now and scouting people know what to expect coming up against you but they don't quite know what to expect in terms of Millwall's physicality I think it was it kind of shook up the league a little bit in terms of how physical we were how direct yeah. we were and like how um, energetic and things we were so Millwall, last, the two big problems, or big problems, but two surprising things. I'm going to bring in your favourite stat of XG. Love an XG. Yeah, I was waiting for goals. XG. Yeah, so Millwall, for me, well, not for me, like, two of the big problems Millwall had last season was we couldn't score goals and we couldn't keep any out. That's I think, two big I think most fans who watch Millwall, yeah. You know, they're two of the biggest problems in the game. I think uh, if it doesn't get any bigger. Last season, yeah, normally that's a solution to lose games and uh, so it proved. So Millwall last year, <laughs> Our XG was 61.64. So, you know, kind of normal. We actually scored 48 goals. So we have a difference of 13. Mm. So, you know, so XG, yeah, it's not be all and end all. But in terms of credibility for this season, I think the bottom three or the bottom four teams, three of them got relegated who had the worst kind of expected points from this. And the top four, three of them got promoted. So it's quite accurate in terms of for this league season, who did well and who did bad. So Mill on um, expected goals, we missed basically 13 goals less than we had. And I think Neil Harris addressed that in the summer. You know, he got rid of Gregory left, but Gregory went. I think Gregory, we know as as good a figure he is down at Millwall when people like him, he mm. he is a bad finisher. Yes. I think that is now accepted about Lee Gregory. Uh, he's well, a bad but- finisher. Those numbers don't lie, do they? If you're expecting exactly. to get 60 goals, you get 40-something goals, then there's a problem in terms of finishing. Yeah. And, that, and obviously, you know, it's not just Lee Gregory. It's a number of other players like the, the maybe failing to replace George Savile. We kind of lost um, goals from the midfield, things like that. But yeah. it was it's the biggest difference of uh, expected goals to actual goals in the league. The next biggest was 11, I think, with Wigan. And they obviously end up getting relegated. The, and then if you look at the expected goals against... Again, we will have the biggest difference of seven there. We conceded 64, supposedly, from 57.2. So, again, we all know Jordan Archer's kind of trials and tribulations last season. Yep. Not good at keeping out long shots. Also, I've been mean, looking back at some of the highlights. Not just him, Ben Amos was awful. Was really yeah. bad. Some of the games, yeah. I think the game against QPR, I think we lost yeah. two or three goals. And he was at fault for both of them. Um, against yeah. Reading, he was at fault for two or three of the goals. So, you know, not just Jordan Archer. I know he's much maligned and fairly rightly so. But you forget that he was one of three goalkeepers used that season, and all three of them had clangers in them at big points. Well, our best goalkeeper that's uh, last season was was Martin, who at best, at best, in my opinion, was average. Yeah. Um, so if average is your best, then you, you're going downwards from there. I, I agree about Amos was awful. Um, the Jordan Archer story will. Maybe one day it will get told, but there's this for whatever reason, um, we were shipping goals left, right, and centre. And you've also got to look at the defence in front, um, yeah. uh, Ryan, because um, you know there's there is the James Meredith storyline, whatever whatever the cause of his issues were. Um, and I think that you know Marlon um, Marlon needs good players around him, and in that defence, he was he was he was struggling at times. Yeah, and with, uh, Hutchinson had an up and down season, like with his injuries and things like that. It was a uh, not a consistent back four, is it? Like is is this year? You can name the back five with with Bart in goal. You can name the defenders every single week. It's going to be this back line every week. And uh, last season that wasn't necessarily the case. I mean, Harris displayed a willingness to 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 shuffle the cards. I mean, the, looking at the goalkeeping um, position, I mean, it's Archer, Amos, Archer. You know, there are variations then down to Martin. Yeah. He was willing to he, make. He knew changes. there was a problem there, didn't he? He didn't sit and wait. He knew there was a problem there that he needed addressing. Yeah, um, and up front, less of a willingness to chop and change because the Morrison and Gregory combination that have taken us so far. But I think. 
you know anyone could see the limitations morrison was very much at the end of his of his um career actually so you know he moved on and, and, and chose to retire shortly afterwards and it's striking how lee gregory has gone to stoke and just hasn't seized a place there and hasn't hasn't taken yeah. control there um which uh, football's a harsh business, isn't it? I mean, much as you might like a bloke, and I've got a lot of time for Lee Gregory, you know, it's it's about putting the ball in the net. And if you're not doing it at one end, the expected goals are low. I'm even using these stats now, Ryan. And then your expected goals you're shipping, whatever the, whatever the expression is yeah. for that, is 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 higher than it should be. Then you've got yeah. problems. Road our luck. So when you when you when you kind of extrapolate those out with the expected goals against it conceded, like per game. You can obviously get a table of the expected points that you should have got um, or should have got or potentially should have got. So this is the one where the table, in this expected points table, the bottom two teams are Ipswich and Bolton, both relegated. Rotherham finished fourth bottom, who eventually got relegated. Um, the top three, or the top four were Leeds, Norwich, Sheffield United and Aston Villa. So three of those four got promoted. Leeds pretty much blew it. They were top mm. of that table, but pretty much blew it. So, you know, you can see it's kind of the best teams went up and the worst teams went down. On that expected points, Millwall, there was a 21.8 difference different um, in Millwall's points and our expected points. Right. So that's seven wins. The next biggest in the division is 12, with QPR with 12. So that's nine points. Well, we were nine points worse off than the next bad team, if that makes sense. You know, that's an, that's an incredible gap. I don't think there's any, in the, the seasons around it, there's no teams with a difference in, of that scale. Millwall were... We the game I, I one of the games I picked out was Reading. We lost three one to Reading, and I think their three goals had an xG of less than one, and Millwall had an xG of two point five in that game. And you watch the highlights, and we missed sitter after sitter, and then Ben Amos threw three goals into the net. And it's games <laughs> like that where you just you look at it and go, how did we not get relegated? I mean that it's astonishing that 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 points would have seen us finish tenth, which would have been pretty much on par with last season, a bit a bit of a dip, but. So it's 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 weird to think Millwall were that unlucky. You know, it's bad performance. It's not all about luck with XG. It's it's about performance as well. But it's staggering the the kind of difference of where we should have done and where we did do in terms of our finishing and goalkeeping. Obviously, like the middle, the play comes into that. But it's what's really your, really stands out. What's your analysis? I mean, is it, is it a failure of confidence by the manager, a lack of belief <coughs> in in his own decision making that erodes? So, I'm not so, so so last year. I think. I think uh, the, from what I saw, kind of like looking back, our, our structure, especially when you look at it now under under um, Rowett, our, our defence is quite bad. So so our, our numbers in terms of like... This is pressing, the start of the season. We're, we're still playing poorly at the start of this season, aren't we? Yeah, oh. but so, so, well, interesting. The start of this season, I think everyone kind of noticed it um, under Harris. And obviously the, the, the article that I wrote is mainly focused on the away games, but it's similar at home as well. Mm. That Millwall started sitting way deeper this year under Harris, especially on the road. Like, I think there was a lot of complaints that I, I made and others made. On the road, Harris was just playing to draw, basically turning up to places thinking we weren't good enough to win. Yeah. And uh, the, so the season before that, Millwall were competing. And like I say, with the XG, things not going our way, okay, whatever. Bad performances kind of let us down. But this season, uh, Millwall were sitting way deeper. Our passes per defence and action, passes per defensive action, which is basically a stat to show how much you press a team um, was way down. Mill was sitting off way more. We had about 10% less possession or 7 or 8% less possession on average. We're making about 30 less passes a game. We were basically just sitting deep, getting the ball and knocking it long. Um, and like not really trying. I think Harris kind of lost confidence in himself and in the team to, to win games, which is interesting because in the summer, like you said, the signings he made in the summer, which I think is a really interesting point, is he addressed the problems. He got yeah. in two new strikers. He had Tom Bradshaw coming back from injury. He got yep. in a new goalkeeper who was really good. Yep. He improved the midfield. Like he, he strengthened really well, and we're seeing that now under Rowett. He knew where the problems were and dealt with them. But then when it came to his game plan and his tactics, he just seemed to like he'd lost confidence. It's, um, mm. I've become a bit of a fan of cooking channels, listeners. And it's like you've assembled the finest ingredients at the Cafe Royal's kitchen and then decided to burn it and, um, yeah. you know, mix, mix them in, 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 in ways that don't produce the, uh, the finest um, outcomes. I mean, the turning point for many, I think, 
um, encapsulated in one game was the the loss at Fulham um, back in in August. You know, we 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 kind of scraped a few wins. Preston on opening day, West Brom, we'd got a win. Uh, is that that's 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 a that's an EFL Cup result. Sorry, but a win against yeah, that- um, uh, Sheffield Wednesday at home, and then we've actually. Everything you've you've summarised the, the the kind of um, the, the tactical errors and the and the and the uh, sitting too deep came together in that one result at Fulham, which was the the ludicrous stats of 85% to Fulham and 15% to us and four yeah. nil. Um, for many, and I think for me, that was a night that was um, traumatic because. You know, the, the, we've, as we've said, the, the, we said, it's like we're using decent players in poor ways, and that comes back to the manager and his, and his judgment or lack of it. Yeah, I think that the Fulham, like like you say, the Fulham result was it was because there was so much on Twitter um, going around about oh the biggest possession stats. I mean, it was only half time. The end of the game didn't finish that way. I mean, they had to finish four 0 but mm. you know, three 0 up at half time. I think um, it was bad. It was a really bad result, and it was a, a not just a toothless performance from Millwall. It was it was pathetic. Like he hadn't he turned up. And basically said, we're going to lose this game. Let's try and keep the numbers down from the from the minute go. Yeah. And I think what what I think I don't know if they're before or after. Um, what was interesting as well was the games we had away to Middlesbrough and then Huddersfield. I think Huddersfield yeah. was a couple of games after. Maybe Middlesbrough. Was one, just one all. Yeah, one all. Yeah. Both draws. Middlesbrough at the time were rock bottom. Hadn't won a game all season. Um, Huddersfield when we went there had I don't think they'd quite yet replaced their manager, but they had. Or maybe they just had, but they had lost ten in a row, something like that, or however yeah. many games it was. And we went and basically sat off and didn't try and win. And yeah. we're like, well, we better watch it. And but you're going to teams who are awful, who are showing that in the league that they are playing really badly, lacking cohesion, and are in really bad form. You're going in front of a crowd who are already on their backs, and you're turning up and going, oh, let's take it easy against these lot. And I think that just was kind of indicative of Harris's loss of confidence. His he kind of he went everywhere, basically thinking, "Let's get this draw, and then we'll try and do well at home." And you know, at home that, that didn't happen. Yeah, it's a kind of um, it's like an e- an easy colour by numbers approach in a way because um, it's, it's a lack of faith in, in the player's ability to be anything more than just that kind of classic Millwall um, so-so away everything built on on home form which um you know is, is fine when it works and when it doesn't is mm. um takes you down some dark roads i'm just looking at the report um when neil harris left this is dated the 3rd of october it's a talk sport um article but uh they were talking to cascarino um talking about um harris rebuilding the squad which he had done added a lot of players to the team which he had done and as Cascarino um, put it, he's to step down there seems very odd. I know they've been on a difficult run of late, but I just feel there must be something deeper for Neil to step down. And I think that deeper thing is what you've touched on, which is the, the complete loss of confidence in your own uh, footballing philosophy in some ways, because whatever he was trying was not working at that point. Yeah, I think it was that, that, that like you said, that quote and uh, the fact the reaction to his resignation kind of highlights that. I think it was... People were getting there was some some like kind of murmurs of get get rid of Harris now um, kind of coming up around the den, but I wouldn't say it was a massive proportion. The the crowd were starting to get booed on occasions at home, which yeah. obviously is bad to see. But like the football was bad, like kind of justified, but and it's hard to see. But like you say, at that point he had rebuilt the squad in the summer, and like you say he had like I was saying he had addressed the problems that we had. He had brought in players who were quite clearly better. But for some reason, it was him and he had, yeah, he had kind of lost it. And I think there was the, is it the Blackburn game after we lost? And someone Got said, beat Blackburn. Was, it, was, it, yeah. was it Aaron who was saying, or someone was saying he basically stood on the pitch for 45 minutes or an staring hour after the game, space. just staring yeah. into space. And then similar after the Luton game, and it was almost immediately after the Luton game, again, a team who were rock bottom of the league. And we got absolutely battered by them in the first half. And turned it he'd made what was weird about that is he made the change in the second half and we were really good and eventually ended up drawing but we that second half was kind of like okay he's made a change he's we're not playing 4-4-2 he's seen something a problem he's gone to fix it mill were playing well what's going to happen and so we came out with a draw which was frustrating but i think i certainly came out of that game with like a hope of okay harris is he's thinking now he's trying to Mm -hmm. he's being proactive he's trying to deal with issues and then what 
and a day later he's he's resigned and it, it did come as a shock but like you say his de- it was his decision to step down and I think that is because he just lost confidence I think the crowd was starting to turn as well Ryan I think the loot and away game which I watched on um, on TV I didn't go to that game but um, I think there was start it, the sad end of every management career finishes in in if not quite in Holloway levels of abuse but certainly start stuff starts to get gets said to you and it would hurt Neil Harris was a proud man Millwall man through and through and I think that was the that was the final straw to be it's almost like a humiliation in public isn't it um and as you say to be battered by Luton Town in in their dire dire position um just strips your dignity somewhat and he went um I remember feeling a sense of surprise, but if I'm honest, um, and it feels a bit hard to say it, but I remember feeling slightly relieved that it was over and that, yeah. um, you know, uh, it, it was time, it, it, the thing had finished, um, and that was I, that. I, I compare it to, because my only other kind of experience of that, because like, like, well, like I say, it's really weird for Mill to lose a manager almost, like, especially in my lifetime, it's... It's been Kenny Jacket and Neil Harris for obviously we've had seasons of others in between, but Kenny Jacket was at the club for like seven years, it was seven or eight years, like longest reign, one of the longest reigning managers in England at the time. Yeah. And uh, and then Harris again for five seasons. Millwall don't change manager that often. I remember saying this at the time. And uh, when Kenny Jacket went, we weren't like battling relegation. He went because he, he had again said he'd taken the club as far as he'd go, and that was kind of a real shock because I know he not everyone likes him, but I was a massive Kenny Jacket fan. I thought he was a great manager and a great guy. Yeah, and that kind of like knocked me for six, and I was like, "Oh shit! Like, what? What Millwall? What are we going to do now? Who, like, what's going to happen? Who are we going to get? We're going to get uh, Steve Lomas. Yeah, we're going to get Steve Lomas and turn it around. <laughs> exactly, and that's the worry. But when, like you're saying, when Harris went, I kind of sat back and went, "Oh, it's a real shame, but it's for the best." And I think that the immediate outpouring of kind of being like, "Well, he's still a club legend. He's uh, he's part of the fabric of the club. He is the club's biggest legend." I think, regards to what anyone can say, there's no one else who really comes close to him. No, um, no, there's not. I think no. that immediate outpouring shows that I think that a lot of people felt that. A lot of people felt, well, yeah, it was the right decision to go, but we love you still, sort of thing. And that was good because it, it, it happened just before it turned sour. Just this before is, it turned really sour. This is the language of relationships and divorcing after many years and um, trying to remain friends and then finishing up in unwise uh, brief flings afterwards. I'm thinking back to Holloway and to, to Lomas on that front. But um, we, we 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 had a little brief flirtation with Adam Barrett um, for the Leeds home game, which was an enjoyable 2-1 win. But I think anyone that was there that day would say that. Um, May I don't know. The, 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 certainly, you know, the, the whatever hope might have been in that game was was dashed at um, Brentford the following week when we gave up a 2-0 lead. Slightly undeserved 2-0 lead to, to finish 3-2 down. Um, and then we had the appointment of Gary Rowett um, on the, in, for, in October. Um, you are listening to Achten Millwall. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. 
That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Just looking at the introduced, uh, getting to know Gary Rowett piece the club put out that day. Um, and immediately, I mean, the, do have a look at Ryan's article, listeners. There's, there's, you've got some great graphics on there, Ryan. I don't know how much... Um, I follow you've been you've been watching mate but it's it's wonderful stuff you know deconstructing the uh, the, the the last days of Neil Harris's defense and then analyzing in some depth um the changes that that Rowett made quite quickly didn't he after mm. arrival yeah it was it was rapid and I think so his first game was the Stoke game 2-0 win which was I think Mill people were impressed how well Mill played well, I think what's what's interesting with Rowett is the the kind of the flexibility he showed um so we obviously played the Stoke game. And the next game was Reading 2-1 away that we lost. And we had a really bad first half. But you watch back, the, the two goals are bad mistakes. I think Mill were a bit sloppy and a bit kind of all over the place. But um, second half, we were much improved. Yeah. And what game was it after the Stoke game? It was another home game, wasn't it? Got beat at Reading. Um, yeah. We beat Charlton at home 2-1. And for me, because I went down to this one, was it the Charlton game? But I, was, I went down to Swansea for the 1-0 win, which yeah. was... So I think- uh, they were riding high, weren't they? They were, they were, they were. The, the, um... Yeah, I think the Swansea game was the not a turning point because it's quite early on, but was the game where everyone was like, right, we've got a, a serious manager now because absolutely, like say, absolutely, hadn't, hadn't hadn't done well at Reading on the road, and it's you know at this point Millwall looking into it, Millwall on the road had the the from the beginning of eighteen nineteen, obviously our away form was bad, and everyone Appal- knew that. Appal- won, appalling, yeah, appalling. We'd won three games away, lost 15 in, uh, oh, that was in 2019. So including the beginning of this season, I think it went up to, I think we'd got nine points from 18 games or something like that. No, 18 points from 30 games is what it was. And we'd conceded on average 1.67 goals per game. So, you know, up to two goals a game we conceded on the road before yeah. Rowett was coming in. When Rowett came in, up until now, we won five. We've got 19 points from 12 games on the road. So more points from less than half the games. You know, that's, it's a massive difference. And we're conceding about, on average, one goal less a game. And that Swansea game really kicked it into gear in terms of like, oh, Millwall are doing something different and we're doing it really well. I was really struck because I was down there and, uh, you know, just looking at the um, the, uh, the statistics website, Mill History, and, and Swansea were fifth in the table and with a reputation for playing Swansea football. Um, Millwall came into it, you know, very shortly after the appointment of Rowett, with, as you say very rightly, some appalling away form. And, you know, I went, I travelled down there more in, more in hope than expectation, if I'm going to be honest with you, Ryan. But there's some great analysis um, and some great graphics that you've done here of uh, the changes that he made, which um, seems yeah. to be um, the, the, the kind of midfield two sitting in front of a, of a much more disciplined and tightly structured back line now. Yeah, so obviously the biggest change was straight away was going to the back five. So obviously, Mill, I think Mill, looking back for, since the start of eighteen nineteen under Harris, Mill would play the back five twice. We played it once on the road at Sheffield United last season and drew one all, but that was pretty much to match their Chris Wilder shape more yeah. than Harris trying to do something different. And then we played it at home to QPR this season and lost 2-1. I mean, that game was quite bad. I think that was the first home game I'd got to go to because I was living away at the time. Mm. But the, the atmosphere was quite sour. But I mean, I watched it back when I got home, and the, their goals were. It was the one where Bart came out and miskicked one. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Slipped yeah. and Akiwal. So their two goals were very lucky. And Millwall, I mean, they could have had a player sent off. Millwall could have should have had a handball penalty. So it's it's you know it's it's the the fine margins that football games are decided on. But ultimately, it was a loss, and I think it dissuaded Harris from going to a back five. And the reaction in the crowd of him playing a back five was really, really negative. Everyone was like, this is awful. It's, uh, you're playing so defensively at home. This isn't what we will do. And that, that was kind of stuck. So when Rowett went to it, okay, it's on the road. You kind of get a bit more leeway on the road. Yeah. Goes to back five immediately. Like I say, in, the, in that analysis, looking through it, you can see our structure. 
And it's, yeah, the, str- the flat back five, the wing backs kind of press when they need to. But the, the centre backs stay solidly in a line. Millwall sit a lot deeper and the midfield two sit in front of them. So that was a massive difference to what I was, saw last year when I was kind of looking through all these games. Millwall had a real bad habit last season of basically, be, basically being unlocked by one or two passes. Yeah. The ball would be with the centre backs. And um, I found it really surprising, actually. Gregory obviously has a, habit, has a reputation as like a, a, a workhorse up front who chases everything down. Last season, there was none of that. In so many, I watched five or six games back and he just stood. And I, I'm sure he's under instruction, but mm. just stood and didn't press. And obviously, if whoever he was with, if it was Thompson behind him or if it was a strike partner, they very rarely pressed very hard. So Millwall kind of lost that first line of defence. And often the centre midfields, either Williams or Leonard, kind of ran out and chased the ball around, which left massive gaps. So I think in the in the piece, there's a couple of examples of it from both the seasons where the ball's with the centre-back, they're under no pressure, they play it forward into the midfield, and there's just a massive gap in front of the back four, and they can run at us and get a shot or a crossing. So Rowett immediately changes it and puts the midfielders in front of the back five, and, st- and they stay there. And it's the front three doing the pressing, it's... In this game, in that game, I think it was Bradshaw, Bod Varson and Wallace doing the yeah. pressing, chasing people down. And Mill would just stay solid. And that game, like you say, Swansea are a side that keep possession. They could not pass through us at any point during the game. I don't think they got any. There was one occasion, I think, where Hutchinson came slightly out of position. But with the third centre-back, Cooper came around and covered. And it's just amazing, the contrast. And what, what's really interesting as well, when you watch the game back, you can see the players are talking constantly and looking across and like holding out their arms and making sure they're in line. Like this is a very deliberate thing they're doing. It's a really, really thought out and they're all paying attention to it and they're all making sure they're doing it right, which is Rowitz. You can see that that's a, a good indicator that they're under instruction and they're trying to do this and they do I'm, it really well. I'm just looking at your article and you've got some four, four um, screenshots showing this, 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 this structure with, um, you know, it's a really interesting read. Listeners, I recommend you have a look at it. And one of the spark uh, notes we've, we've, we've done before the, uh, the conversation is uh, what, what impressed you about Rowett. And just looking at this, um, the structure, the, 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 the forcing of Swansea into wider positions in order that when they play the ball in, as they will, it suits our game rather than their game. Because as, as you've got here, you've got Pierce and, and Cooper and, and Hutchinson, three tall guys in the middle, who will, you know, it's meat and drink to give them give them high balls. That that's that's playing into their into their attributes, and yeah. I think, you know, that 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 kind of it's almost like a chess style approach where you are forcing your opponent to play the game that you want them to play rather than what they want to play. I think if you want one nutshell as to what's impressive about Gary Rowe is that ability to read a game, and and induce your opponents into into your uh, tactics rather than what they want to do. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think um, Rowett did. I think Rowett, you can see how we defend, especially with the back five. It's uh, basically you keep the, the away team high and wide. So they put kind of either long diagonals or deep crosses in or early crosses in. So Mills defence aren't getting turned. They're not the fastest. But like I say, Cooper and Hutchinson statistically are probably the two best, if not two of the best aerial defenders in the league. Cooper obviously has his height, but he's much more than that. And then Hutchinson, I think, has been the best centre-back in the league this season, statistically. Um, he, they, they're just not, they just don't lose many headers. So if we get a lot of crosses in, and with Pierce mopping up as well, who's a bit less mobile than Hutchinson and Cooper, in the middle, he kind of anchors it and just stays in that position and, and um, wins the headers that they don't. Or if they're busy marking someone, he's always there. So in the, in the, the Swansea game, you can see it. And what, what obviously goes on, and this is what, gets people so on board with Rowett so quickly is that, okay, we draw to Birmingham in the next away game and uh, obviously draw to Wigan in the meantime at home. Yeah. We had a couple dodgy home games, obviously the draw to Wigan who were doing badly and uh, the draw to Forest where Jed Wallace gave the ball away towards the end. But that was an individual mistake and people kind of realised that that's not a tactical problem. Millwall came back into that game and, uh, and were winning or were yeah. winning at one point and then it was mistakes that let us. So, the Birmingham game, we drew one all. But remember, um, I think it was Hutchinson was injured in the yep. warm-up, wasn't he? So yep. we had to go to the back four through that yep. game. But then the next two games, Bristol City away and Derby away, both we won them both playing this back five system. Yep. And the Bristol City game especially, 
watching that back, I know they pulled one back, but they literally had no answer to the shape. They were knocking long diagonal balls in. Hutchinson was just winning header after header. They could not play through the lines at all. And it was this formation of Millwall sitting with two centre midfielders in front of the um, the back five with the front three really pressing hard. And those two wins back to back and to, for Millwall to go from not having won an away game or having won very few away games in over a year, probably even longer than that, um, to win three out of four in a matter of two weeks, three weeks maybe, yeah. was just incredible. And it, it helped people buy into what Rauer was doing and buy into this formation and believe that we were a team that can now go and compete. And like you say, it wasn't that we, these were the pieces that Harris had and had assembled and he just didn't really know how to use them. And it just needed a manager who was a bit more tactically astute, tactically clever to come in. And like you say, how can I arrange these players so that we make the opponents play to our strengths? And that's exactly what he did. And it just worked so well. well immediately. If, you, if you exclude the Barnsley 2-1 loss, which was down to individual error and some things you just can't, um, you just can't account for. If you go from the Charlton win in uh, early November 2-1 and then exclude Barnsley as a, as a one loss. I mean, that's that's a pretty consistent run of results, wins and draws all the way through until Sheffield United in, uh, in the FA Cup, um, which... And then, uh, and until West Brom in the league. So that's until February, since Rowan yeah. takes over. Yeah. After the Reading game, which is... Le- Leeds, we've got oh, stuff that leads. So I think Leeds was a... Oh, and a, Leeds as well, so Leeds. Two free at Leeds. Um, then we've got a draw at, at Sheffield and then a loss at home. A pretty decisive loss, I think, if any, any fair assessment. And that, that, that those two uh, games, Sheffield United and Leeds, seem to knock the stuffing out of us. And then the West Brom uh, loss yeah. as well. It just seemed to knock us um, back on our feet a little bit. Um, but then good away wins. Uh, draw against uh, Fulham. Home, uh, away win at Preston. The Preston uh, one was particularly impressive. I remember I looked at the stats for that one. We really should have won that game. I think everyone kind of felt it at the time. We should have won that game two or three nil. We were so much better than them. Um, and that was like you say, after a bad run of form to get back to that, um, it was really impressive. And then obviously to go and lose to Wigan, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, the Wig- Wigan was a grim one. Um, I mean, obviously everyone's, uh, every, any team will get um, just plain poor days. I mean, you're going to get that. It's, it's the manner of your loss that's the, the important thing. Um, and I must admit, I thought maybe the season was now drifting to, um, you know, mid-table respectability, which is no bad thing, Ryan. I mean, not at all from where we were. Yeah. I mean, it's a tendency to say mid-table respectability, like it's a bad thing. And, um, you know, given where he's, um, where he's picked us up and, and the kinds of changes and the, the way that we're playing and the players that he's brought in on loan, I mean, the Ryan Woods, or, you know, I, I know, um, you know, has has a role to play. Whether he's yet playing that role fully yet is is, a, is another thing. But um, just as we were starting to get our our, our act together um, with that wonderful um, final win of the season so far at Nottingham Forest, um, so so the guillotine falls on on proceedings. It's, I mean, that was a wonderful away win. I I, I thought, given that Forest are were fourth. Well, that 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 win actually is, I think. I mean, it's it's Millwall's best performance under Rowett, I think, and it's Millwall's best performance, especially on the road. I think when we're looking back, it was our biggest away win since we beat Walsall, I think. I think in Harris's first season, like a long time since we played that well. Yeah. With, uh, um, and what's interesting about that is it was a back four, obviously. Yeah. We played a four-four-one-one with uh with Mason Bennett in, and so what's interesting about that, I think the the runner form we kind of went on. Har- um, Harris Rowe, it did kind of start to go away from the back five or from the back three, however you want to look at it. And when we play with the back four, we play a bit more aggressively still. Obviously, we play it normally at home, so the onus is on us to to be on the front foot. Um, we have more possession. We still, still don't average more possession than the opposition, but we have a lot more possession than with the back five. We press a lot harder. Um, and obviously, Millwall, this is some of the things that Harris struggled with, that Millwall maybe aren't capable of competing with everyone in that sense but we are still more tactically solid like I say that run that we went on where we didn't win many games it was a difficult a different problem came into the fore of that Mill struggled to create chances when expected to the draws against Birmingham and Sheffield Wednesday and Stoke like those nil nils where we were the better side but we just can't create chances um to then go to the Forest game and win three nil 
I think that that game you watch it back is tactically fantastic from Rowett. He we sit back in the first half and counter with Mason Bennett. Like he brought back in Ferguson to give support to Wallace, who had been struggling over the last couple of weeks, just on that right side where they have Joe Lolly and Matt Cash, who on that right side are probably like the best right side of attack in the division. Yeah. So he brings in two defensive players there to give a bit of support. And then on the counter-attack, Mason Bennett drifts into that left space where they've obviously left a gap. And two of the three goals, obviously one of them came from the corner, but two of the three goals come from that space where one was Murray Wallace overlapping and one was, I think, Bennett putting the ball in himself. Yeah. And yeah. that was just, you could see that the fact that we were doing that so deliberately, that was the game plan. And then obviously by half-time, it's 3-0 and it's game done. And uh, that, that kind of shows the maturity tactically that, that Rowett has to look at the opposition and go like, how are we going to exploit this? He didn't look at how are we going to stop it. Obviously, he did look at that a bit in terms of bringing in Ferguson, but he that was very much to bring in. He, he that was very much to let us exploit it. We had double two players defending the left so that we could counterattack them. We could kind of invite them forward by sitting deeper and then hit that space. And it's just you did. I don't think under Harris you don't really see that. A lot of our wins, and like you said, it's that that middle adrenaline, that middle frenzy that. A lot of our big wins were those sort of games. They were frantic. They were the four three against Leeds was was frantic and it was, you know, end to end and we just nicked the goals because of passion. We're now we're winning games because of tactics and because of maturity and discipline. Which I don't think we had under Harris to an extent. No, it's it's also interesting. We you know, we 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 touched on the, the problems of goal scoring, the expected goal rate and all all, all of that. Um so when chances in the Forest game, particularly when chances fell into the path of the much maligned Matt Smith, and you know, I, I, that no one will watch uh, Matt Smith and not be aware of his strengths and his weaknesses. Not not dwelling on that here today, but um, he took his chances brilliantly well. A hat trick. He's claimed a hat trick. I, I don't think anyone probably begrudges it him really. Possibly Jason Malumbi a little bit, but um, you know. Um, You've got to take your chances. And Matt Smith, when you give him the chance, give him the opportunity, he's a, he's a, he's a goal scorer in a way that we've probably not seen since uh, Morrison in his pomp and certainly, in all fairness, in all honesty, not with Lee Gregory. Yeah, I think, interestingly as well, with, with and I, think, I know this is definitely something you've picked up on, I mean, from the beginning with Matt Smith, is that he's not the same target man as, as Morrison. He's and not. I think no. Harris, Harris kept using him like that. And playing long diagonal balls up to him are just not his game. Harry, um, Morrison was a lot more mobile and a lot more, like he, he was a bit, a bit more wily. He didn't give away as many fouls. He was a bit more subtle in the way he went about being a physical presence. Matt Smith is very much, get it in the box to him and he will score goals. You can see yeah. his goals rate, I think like he's Miracle's best striker in terms of like goals per minute and even just in pure number of goals. Um, and like I say, that, that Boris game was us. We were getting it wide and getting it into him. And like I say, one, one of the finish, okay, it came off his heel. One was a header. One was that low diving header. Like he, he's got different finishes in his, in his locker. Doesn't have to just be a, 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 like a last minute scrambled corner. No. And I think, I mean, this is, I mean, the piece I did before this analysis, I mean, if people want to even go back even further, it's, it's easy to find on, on the blog of uh, Millwall's attacking problem. So this season, so obviously talked to the beginning about our XG from the seasons under Harris being like wildly different. This season, our XG is 43.56 and we've scored 44 goals. So, bang on. Our yeah. XGA, so our expected goals conceded, is uh, 34.94 and we've conceded 40. Our expected points is 54 and we've got 50. And Our no, expected points is 53.3 and we've got 54. Yeah. So, across that, our stats, are they're, they're pretty much bang on. Our, yeah. We're scoring as many goals as we're expected to score. We're conceding as many as we're expected to concede. So, we've ended up in the position we're expected to be in. I think that's that's the one thing you can say about Mill is that reliability and consistency. Most of our performances, we don't come away feeling unjust. We don't come away feeling, how did we not win that game? Or I mean, there's obviously been a couple of occasions. But I think most of our results have been pretty fair um, under Rowett. Most of the games that we've drawn, we haven't quite done enough to win them. I think Bristol City was probably the last one, the one-all draw, where we probably should have won it. Um, but the losses you can't really argue with, like even the Leeds game, we lost three two. But you know that that was kind of a never, not inevitable. But we, we, we to say we should have won that game would be a bit of a stretch. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think you can see that under Rowett, where Millwall were. Uh, our problem now is creating chances when we're expected to. So like I pointed out, the three games we drew nil nil against Birmingham, um, Sheffield Wednesday, and Stoke are games that we were expected to dominate. Millwall were doing better than those teams in the league and in form. 
and we couldn't kind of create chances and create goal scoring opportunities. And that's that's an issue that will have to be addressed in the summer. And you forget as well that Rowett, okay, he's brought in two players. He's brought in Woods and uh, Bennett. And they've both had really positive impacts. I mean, Bennett obviously was injured and only played three games and not finished any of them. But in each he, of his three games, he's been very good. He made he's an impact at uh, the city ground, didn't he? For against yeah. Forest, I thought he played he played a real Forrest, role there. He played well. I thought he he made a a really good positive impact at uh, Bristol City as well, or yeah. at, at Millwall, but against Bristol City. Yeah. Um, Woods has been good in terms of that. He's he's very good defensively in midfield, but he's also complements kind of Malumbi with the passing. So now we've got two midfielders who are kind of better at passing than our options before. Um, obviously, you forget we've still got Ben Thompson to come in, and he was yeah. actually doing really well in that midfield too. Um, yeah. Before we, before um, he got injured and he was getting forward quite well, but he was actually more defensively disciplined than I thought he would be. Um, so Mill have got a lot of play, got a long way to come, a long way to go, but it's it's like it's good, it's working well. I think I think the fact that that um, we're in the position we are now and Rowett hasn't even finished his first season is is looking really impressive. I mean, you're, I'm just looking at the last paragraph of your piece here, and um, it sums it up quite neatly. Gary Rowe is clearly a clever manager, more tactically flexible than Harris. I think that's that's it in a nutshell, Ryan. The, the fact he's willing to think and adapt to the various situations that we we face, and as you put it here, and you're right, he's proving to be a good fit at the den. He he comes over well, Ryan. He he, he reaches people, and he communicates well. And I think I think what I notice with him is he projects. He projects an image of himself that is just like you in the crowd. You think you could have a beer with Gary Rowett and you might even be working with somebody who's like Gary Rowett. He's, he's that very much common man type of um, persona. And I think that plays well at the Den, matched, of course, with an improving <laughs> performance on the pitch. Because... Of course, of course, they go hand in hand. Like obviously, you know, he could be the nicest bloke in the world. If we were losing every game 5-0, no one would want him around. No one's going to want you, no. It helps right. well, but I think it's that's that's part of it, though. I think, especially at Mill, we need to be a, a nice, I think we're not a nice bloke necessarily, but you need to be someone who people like, and especially that the, the crowd will take to you. Like I say, the early results helped that, but I mean, the, the, you see the praise he gets for his post-match comments online every game. He'll yeah. give that six-minute in-depth interview and it'll be in-depth, it'll be analytical, it'll be honest, it'll yeah. be, we weren't good enough here, I think we could have done better here. Very, very rarely makes many excuses. I remember in the press conference after the, the Bristol City game where, you know, where Malumbi was fouled like right towards the end and it was a stonewall penalty, not given. And uh, he said, you know, if the ref does his job properly, we win the game. But we had enough to do. We had enough chances and stuff to win it anyway. Like he, he didn't come out being like, "Oh, that's a joke. We should have got the points." Blah blah. blah. Like he accepts crit- um, criticism, and he accepts that he makes mistakes, and that that it's it just it just comes over well. And I think what's interesting is that we're we're really seeing kind of row at two point I think he came off over a bad spell at Stoke and Derby. I think he had a bit of a rough time. Derby didn't do too bad. He actually did as well as Frank Lampard, pretty much. I mean, bar one game, I think. Um, and Stoke was obviously a rough time for him. He had a bit of time out of the game, went and yeah. learned a bit about himself, learned a bit more about coaching, um, studied some other things. I know that the interviews that both you and I kind of watched with him before he came in really convinced us that he would be a good manager to come in. And we are seeing an improved Rowett from, you forget that two years ago, he was one of the hottest young English managers around. You know, yeah. he was linked to Stoke when they were, before they were getting relegated. So many Premier League teams were saying, or so many Premier League pundits at least were saying, this guy in the championship, he's the one who's going to come up. He's going to, like, he can come in. He's, he's, he's got this quality. He's good at this. He can come in and change Stoke around. He can come in at any team in the lower half and improve them. And obviously, his reputation took a bit of a knock and he's rebuilding it now at Millwall and it's, it's working well for him and it's working well for us. And that's something that, you know, to have a, a manager of his profile with his uh, kind of renown or reputation off the back of reappointed Harris who had never coached before is a real step in the right direction for Millwall. And, uh, is a credit to the board for appointing him. And I think with a full summer a transfer window, obviously that may not happen this year now, depending on how this unravels. Um, when he gets the time to shape a squad and bring in some of his own players, it'll be interesting to see what he changes and what he can do. And um, I think we're in a really good position with him. It feels quite strange to be looking, staring at the Football League table. Mm. I haven't done that, I haven't done that for since the, um, the last... Um, 
you know, the game at Forest, I haven't really looked at the football has been overtaken by, um, you know, more important events. But so it just feels a little bit odd because, you you know, you have to remind yourself we, we're eighth at the moment. Okay. And, Pending the revival, whenever that takes place, of a behind closed doors finish, which will seem like the the way it's going to go. But we're eight. We are two points behind Preston. Um, we've all played 37 fixtures. Um, Bristol just above us, 55, and then Preston 56. Um, and we have games to play. We would have been at QPR today, not uh, um, the other day, yes, uh, yesterday, and that's the 25th. Um, so we've got Derby, Barnsley, Swansea, Charlton, Middlesbrough, Hull City, Blackburn, QPR, and Huddersfield to play. All of those fixtures probably are behind closed doors. It's still doable, Ryan. I mean, I know it would yeah. be a shame not to have the home advantage against Derby and uh, Swansea and Borough, Blackburn and Huddersfield, but. Um, you know, Rao is nothing if not professional. He'll have his squad well, well prepared for these um, closed fixtures when they come. Mm. Um, and it's still, it's, it's, you know, the opportunity lies in their hands still. It's not out of out of grasp at all. Well, I think it's, I think when we were talking before we came on, you spoke about it with James um, the other day about the, you know, the tables, the way of predicting the tables kind of coming towards the, the end of the game if they weren't played out. You've got like the points per game. Yeah. But obviously, you were mentioning the one in the National League where they kind of took that into account and the form, form. and things like that. They and I saw somewhere. Yeah. I think I saw one of those tables which someone had done that with weighting of form and kind of trying to work out in terms of fixtures coming up and all the different factors that come into play. And I think they all finished sixth in their prediction prediction one. And obviously, that is a prediction. But mm. I wrote just before the break, before the lockdown, about a, like kind of look at Millwall's fixtures and the run-ins and the run-ins of all the teams around us. And on paper, obviously this doesn't always work out the case with Mill especially, but on paper we had the easiest run. A lot of mm-hmm. the teams around us were playing a lot of teams, not just in the playoff chase, but playing Leeds and West Brom and Fulham and Brentford. So teams that are like way above, maybe not Brentford so much, but Fulham especially. Um, and really hard, a lot harder games. Mill were playing a lot more mid-table sides who are maybe, we're not playing dr- loads of like, yeah. Drifting not, out. Yeah. Yeah, we're not playing people fighting for their lives. And uh, we're not playing people going for the promotion as much. And it's Millwall were kind of in the best position of those teams maybe to to uh, to kick on. And I think with the three 0 win against Forest, really regalvanised the the atmosphere around people. Where, like you said, the this, the season had started to drift a bit, but beating a side a couple of places above us, or a few places above us, in such a convincing manner, really kind of announced to everyone on Sky TV as well on a Friday night where the whole narrative was, well, this is a good game for Forrest to kind of secure their playoff things. We we turn up, batter them 3-0 and, and kind of go, well, don't forget about us. We're in this chat. And uh, it is a shame they got postponed, but it'll be interesting to see if it gets finished or what, what the, 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 the outcome will be. It's going to be an interesting... Um, leave aside the, the lack of desirability of a, a behind-closed-doors finish, but you know, mid-table side where players will be thinking about the potential for contracts and their earning potential in whatever shape football um, takes in the future. We don't, none of us know what that's going to look like. We don't know how much money is going to be in the game. Um, no player, you know, no mid-table player will want to put their career at risk by getting injured um, in a behind-closed-doors f- finish that, you know, um, <laughs> will mean nothing to them potentially. If you're playing, a, you know, one of the, some of the teams that we're talking about there with nothing much at stake, you're not going to want to get hurt. You're going to want to try and stay healthy for whatever, whatever shape football takes next season. Whereas we will want to, you know, we could find ourselves in a in a in a playoff tournament behind closed doors <laughs> with, be with, with a Premier League prize at stake. It's going to yeah. be the weirdest, the weirdest, weirdest thing, James. Uh, Ron, it would be very Millwall to get promoted to the Premier League for the first time behind closed doors, <laughs> wouldn't it? No, no, no riot, no, 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 no crowd disturbances. We'd get none of the joy and then lose every single game in the Premier League. So we just get all of the heartache. We wouldn't get any of the joy of celebrating Wembley. 
the six 0 against Manchester City away. <laughs> we, we, we could arrive in the in the Premier League with the FA's blessings. There's no trouble on, on the way to get there. I think that might convince them to keep the next season behind closed doors as well. <laughs> crowd crowd noise piped in. Yeah, we're really concerned about it building up again this year. So we, we're going to keep Mill. Mill has been identified as a hot spot. So all their games will be behind closed doors as well. For the 2020-21 season. Don't joke. Don't joke. These <laughs> these people will uh, uh, leave aside all the legal problems that we identified the other day. These people would uh, take that, I think. <clears throat> Ryan, that's wonderful stuff, mate. Thank well, you I enjoyed much. it. It's always good to have a... I think I think with all the nostalgia going on, I think it's it's good to remember what's happening here and now. And, uh, okay, you know, it's, it's like you say, you're, you keep churning out the podcast, so uh, you're doing a lot of good work. I think a lot of people are appreciating it. Nostalgia is the preserve of old men. <laughs> <laughs> Staying relevant. Stay, with this show, we stay relevant. And that's why I got Ryan in on this one. That's wonderful stuff. Ryan. I really appreciate it, mate. Um, stay tuned, dear listeners, for more wonderful content from Achtung Mill as, as, as this storyline unfolds. There's a lot yet yet to come, I fear, somehow. We'll see. Thank you for listening, dear listeners. Bye for now. Achtung Millwall and the Real Millwall Fan Show are the number one Millwall podcast and we want to hear from you. So get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts, your views, your rants about all things Millwall. We've got email, achtungmillwall at gmail.com or one word, achtungmillwall at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail on 0208 144 0232. That's 0208 144 0232 leave us a voicemail no human will be involved in the receipt of your message so give us a shout tell us what you think about all things Millwall and the best messages will be read out on air Achtung Mehlwald A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.